Uh, if you get your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, last weekend I shared about the call and the invitation that we each have to experience the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And to that, I, I think uh, adopting Mary's declaration, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you've said, that would be a great resolution to embrace as we look forward to a new year as well as for the rest of our days. Living with that resolve is powerful. Living with that resolve is life-changing. In Mary's case, her bold confession to the angel Gabriel led to her being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and then Jesus literally being conceived in her womb. As amazing it must have been for her to become the answer to God's sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. As amazing as that must have been, in the culture of her day, becoming pregnant as an unwed woman could have led to her being stoned to death. And she knew that. Yet she courageously and fully surrendered her whole self to God and to his will for, his, for her life. After her encounter with the Holy Spirit, Mary left Nazareth, went to visit her relatives, Zachariah and Elizabeth. She was probably there less than three months because there was this cultural deal about a pregnant woman not being at the birth of another mother. But that means when Mary returned home to Nazareth, she was now noticeably pregnant. Matthew 1 says it this way, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child. That was a problem for Joseph. Joseph originally thought about just quietly divorcing Mary. But after his own encounter in a dream with an angel of the Lord, Joseph immediately obeyed what the Lord had told him to do, took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. About six months later, the taking of a Roman census required Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the map of that area, but the trip from uh, uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem was about a three or four day donkey ride. So it really is no surprise that now nine months pregnant Mary was ready to deliver that baby about the time they got to town. We've all heard about the shepherds showing up shortly after Jesus was born. And as it turns out, the shepherds in the Christmas story may not have been just the ordinary bunch of social outcast shepherds and their flocks were not just any old sheep or herd. Digging into their story a few years ago, I discovered that more than likely they were temple shepherds who were specifically trained and educated about animals who were to be sacrificed. These shepherds had an important and significant job because during the first century Passovers, up to 265,000 lambs would be sacrificed each year in the temple at Jerusalem. Temple shepherds were responsible for making sure their lambs weren't hurt or damaged and their lambs uh, were all born in controlled conditions, not just somewhere out in the field. When the lambs were born, they were each wrapped in swaddling clothes, strips of linen and cloth, to help them keep warm and to protect them as they were placed in stone feeding troughs in a birthing barn until a priest came and inspected them. After being inspected for birth defects, these lambs were raised in a ceremonially clean and protected environment, which all gives a very different take on away in a manger and on where Mary may very well have given birth to Jesus. To this very day, God is so intentional. He really is into the details. He doesn't miss a thing. And although God did choose to have Jesus basically sneak into the world, he also chose to initially reveal Jesus' arrival to a bunch of temple shepherds in the middle of the night. 
I think God knew these temple shepherds would be able to grasp a depth of revelation about the angel's message. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. In my mind's eye, I see them telling Joseph and Mary all about the surprising encounter with the angel, including specifically what the angel had said about their baby, as well as all of the magnificent angel choir things that they witnessed and heard out in the field. And then as quickly as they came, like the heavenly hosts, they were gone. But they didn't leave town quietly. These temple shepherds who were the first to hear the good news of great joy from the angel and the angel choir became evangelists themselves. And the New Living Translation says, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And in the Amplified, it says, and all who heard it were astounded and marveled at what the shepherds told them. Eight days later, Jesus would have been taken to the local rabbi to be circumcised, named, and dedicated to the Lord. And then according to Jewish tradition, if that baby boy was a firstborn, as Jesus was, one month after his birth, he would be taken to the temple and presented to God and redeemed. It was kind of a buying back of their son through an offering, while at the same time an open acknowledgement that their firstborn belonged to God. Then 40 days after the birth of a son, there was another purification ceremony for a mother that was required by the law of Moses. If the child was a girl, that same purification ceremony took place 80 days later. During those 40 to 80 days, the mother was not allowed to enter the temple. But at the end of her time of separation, she and her husband would come to the temple with a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove or a pigeon for a sin offering. And if the bringing of a lamb was too expensive for the couple, there was an option for a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Joseph and Mary used that second option. And after the priest sacrificed the two birds they bought, Mary was once again declared to be ceremonially clean. A New Living Translation Study Bible footnote says, Jesus was God's son, but his family carried out all these ceremonies according to God's law. Jesus was not born to live above the law. Instead, he fulfilled it perfectly. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would later say, if you think I've come to set aside the law of Moses and the writing of the prophets, you're mistaken. I've come to fulfill and to bring perfection to all that has been written. Joseph and Mary had brought Jesus to the temple with them for Mary's purification ceremony. And after that was completed, they walked right into a divine appointment. Just as God had originally orchestrated the time and the location for Isaiah and his son to meet with King Ahaz, God lined up Joseph, Mary, Jesus, and a man named Simeon to be in the same place at the same time in the temple for what became an unforgettable, immortalized moment in history. Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout man. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. As Isaiah's writings were dispersed, generation after generation had looked and waited for the fulfillment of the sign God had given through Isaiah to King Ahaz. Hundreds and hundreds of years passed. And then one day, a man named Simeon, who was living in a spiritual realm ahead of his time, received a Holy Spirit revelation that sent a jolt through his spirit. 
Simeon got a specific answer to one of his prayers. He was told that he would literally get to see the long-promised Emmanuel before his life ended. We don't know when it happened. We don't know how old he was when it happened to him. But from that day forward, Simeon prayed and lived with a heightened sense of expectancy. Now, I've heard this story a bunch of times, and I've uh, always heard it, and actually, I've even taught it, as Simeon, being an old priest who Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to in the temple. And while reading through Luke, it can be easy to make that conclusion. After digging deeper into this story for the last couple of weeks, I'm pretty sure that Simeon was not a priest and didn't have any religious credentials, and he might not have been old either. In the King James, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. That word for behold is a term of amazement meant to convey a sense of delight and surprise and pleasure. So reading it as it was meant to be, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Behold meant turn aside and take a look at this. The Holy Spirit put a spotlight on Simeon as a rarity in his day. As best as I can tell, Simeon was just a normal guy who had purposely cultivated a God-honoring lifestyle at a time when most of the people of his day, even those who had religious titles, were living in spiritual darkness. Simeon was living as part of a believing remnant. And all we know for sure about him is three things. That he was righteous and devout. That he was waiting for the Lord's Christ. And that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Listen, at the end of our days, if that was what could be said and known for sure about us, that we were righteous and devout, that we were waiting for the Lord's Christ and the Holy Spirit was on us, we will have a life well lived. Simeon was righteous. It was a very common word in the Christmas story. Same word is used to describe Zechariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, and Mary. In Greek, righteous means equitable in character and action equitable in character and action. Listen, mark it down. Character matters to God. Character matters to God. There are many things that God wants to bless and bring into our life, but until our character is in a place to sustain it, we, he, he, won't, he loves us too much to put those things in our lives because he knows if he gives us things ahead of what our character can handle, it can ruin us. So it's incumbent upon us to be people who are equitable in our character in our actions so we can move in all the things that God wants to do in our lives. This righteous describes a person whose talk and walk match up. When I used to do a lot of work uh, in the refugee community uh, many, many years ago, uh, in the Cambodian community, there was a saying, and you'd talk to somebody, and you what do you think about that guy? I don't know. He talks like this, and he talks like this. What's that mean? Well, there, with some people, he talks like this, but when those people aren't there, then he talks like this. This righteous isn't talk like this, talk like this. This righteous is our talk and our walk line up, they match up, and they are the same. It involves a pursuit of living above reproach and in right standing with God. And interestingly, before and after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, this righteous is achieved the same way, by living and walking out a growing faith in God in real and tangible ways every day. Simeon was devout, describes an inner attitude of his heart that was fully devoted to living in alignment with God and God's ways. It literally means to take hold of well, carefully, and surely. 
And it manifests in ways we recognize as passionate, ardent, faithful, fervent. Many people throughout history to this very day try to express this kind of devout with a religiosity that's lived out with an external piety meant for other people to see and notice. But that's not what this devout is at all. Instead, this devout comes from an intentional and purposeful living before God in ways that flow naturally out of a healthy delighting in and a faithful practicing of the reverential fear of the Lord. Righteous and devout. There's a real power in that combination. And while it's easy sometimes when you're just reading through scriptures to just read over a phrase like that, no one accidentally becomes righteous and devout. Never have, never will. No one becomes accidentally righteous and devout because both require a consistent, choice-filled life of circumspection and obedience. However, a common mistake is to water all this down in our thinking to a lifestyle that's just built around keeping the rules. Jesus repeatedly said we'd need more than that if we were going to enter the kingdom of heaven. This kind of righteous and devout flows from the inside out. It's a heart-led lifestyle built upon an active relationship with God rather than a lifestyle built around strict religious observances. Righteous and devout described who Simeon was. Beyond that, Simeon was also doing something else. He was waiting. The word implies waiting with confidence and patience. Simeon was pregnant with a promise that he would see the Messiah. So as he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, he was doing with a different spiritual insight than most of his peers. Simeon was looking for the Messiah he understood to be the hope of both Israel as well as the whole world. And Simeon was experientially living in that truth and with that awareness before Jesus was born. Now, waiting for the consolation of Israel was actually a very traditional Jewish prayer for God's come alongside comfort, as well as for what Jews believed to be the restoration of Israel to a place of prominence among the nations of the world. Just before Jesus ascended back into heaven, his disciples expressed this very cultural yearning by asking him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus' answer to them still rings true for us today. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You know, we live in a day right now where there's a lot of fascination about the end times and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it is supercharged in the atmosphere. All the stuff that's going on over in Israel sparked a whole bunch and there's a bunch of different things out there. It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Red letters, Jesus. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be witness. That tells me that instead of trying to figure out times and dates, we'd be better to set ourselves in position to figure out how's the best way for me to keep receiving power from the Holy Spirit. And how's the best way for me to be a witness wherever I am, from the place I wake up in the morning to every place I go during the day? That's a lot better focus than trying to figure out, are we near the end or whatever? As Simeon waited 
The everyday default that shaped his worldview manifested in attitudes and actions based on living with an expectancy of the Messiah being revealed to him. And today we're called to live the same way. We're called to live with an expectancy of Jesus's presence regularly being revealed to us. Not just when we die, not just when Jesus comes back, but as a normal part of every day, finding and seeing Jesus in our lives and moving with us. That's another way to experience Christ in us. And that experience will keep hope alive in us, even as so many things in the world seem to be going the wrong way. Our awareness of Christ in us, the hope of glory, is also meant to shape and direct who we choose to be, as well as what things we choose to do and not to do day in and day out. The famous missionary Hudson Taylor once said, since he may come any day, it is well to be ready every day. Since he may come any day, it is well to be ready every day. Simeon was righteous, devout, and waiting, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon had had, had his own overshadowed by the Holy Spirit moment. What set him apart was not only how he was living, but also that he was living in the manifest presence and in a revelatory relationship with the Holy Spirit. Simeon was walking closely with and in the power of the Holy Spirit many, many years before the day of Pentecost. He was a forerunner of a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then one day, he was specifically prompted by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple. And that day, his promise and the longing of his heart was finally fulfilled. Look at verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. We don't know how long Simeon had been pregnant with this promise. And remember, in his day, as well as probably in his own imagination, there were a lot of different theories about what the Messiah would look like. Images of a, a mighty conqueror, a king, a warrior who would deliver Israel from their oppressors. And despite what must have been at least some contradictions in his natural mind, Simeon rejoiced in what he knew and he saw in his spirit. Simeon recognized that the little baby in that poor couple's arms, that little baby was the Christ. That little baby was the long-awaited one. That little baby was Emmanuel. And when he took Jesus into his arms, an overflow of the Holy Spirit rose up and flowed out of him. It's the uh, you now dismiss your servant in peace part that has caused many people through the years to think of Simeon as an old man about to die. And although that could be true, it could be equally true that this was his expression of fulfilled joy and satisfaction. Nothing else that would ever happen in Simeon's life would ever be as significant or as satisfying to him as that moment. Last night we were singing, I thought about it again this morning. Simeon was singing the same song that we were singing this morning. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than this right now. He had Jesus. He had the Messiah in his arms. Simeon's relationship with the Holy Spirit allowed him to recognize Jesus 
as the personification of God's salvation. And listen, many people of that day, many of whom regularly frequented and even taught in the temple, later looked at and listened to a full-grown Jesus without seeing what Simeon saw that day in the temple in a six-week-old baby. The Holy Spirit also allowed Simeon to recognize that salvation is really about God coming to us, about God coming to humans, not humans trying to get to God. Sovereign Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. The word prepared means specifically made ready beforehand for a designated and determined purpose, use, or activity. And from the word of the prophets made certain, we now know that God had prepared our salvation before the foundation of the world. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. That was a radical idea about the Messiah for that day. But it reflected back to imagery Isaiah loved to use. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And Isaiah 60 opens with, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Both parts of Simeon's word, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and a light for glory to your people Israel, both parts of that word are still not yet fully completed. And that light, that light is Jesus. And his light still shines in the darkness. And his invitation still stands. I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Look at verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. You know, Joseph and Mary still marveled at Simeon's words, even though of all the people in the temple that day, they shouldn't have been surprised at all at what Simeon said. On the one hand, after all they had been through up to that point, it was probably so good to hear someone else acknowledging what they knew to be true about their baby. Simeon knew their secret. On the other hand, Simeon's word contained some new information. Gabriel had told Mary that Jesus would become great and would be called the Son of the Most High and that God would give Jesus the throne of David and a kingdom that would never end. Simeon's words expanded their understanding of the future scope of Jesus' mission and ministry. And that special Holy Spirit moment wasn't quite finished yet. Look at verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. First, Simeon had blessed God. Then Simeon blessed Joseph and Mary. That Greek word means he spoke well of them. He invoked a blessing upon them uh, uh, and a blessing upon them to prosper, kind of what Herb was just talking about, kind of what we do at the end of each of our services here at Impact. And then the Holy Spirit turned Simeon's full attention to Mary and his word to her that day in the temple was a caution that none of what she'd been told about her son would be easily accomplished or go unopposed. And in truth, it's a word that's still being worked out to fulfillment more and more every day. There's a saying, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. But still, there's no way Mary could have fully grasped what Simeon was sharing with her under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Simeon was prophesying to Mary about a paradoxical effect Jesus would have on people. Some would fall. Some would rise. 
Simeon revealed that as it relates to Jesus, there is no middle ground. People will either joyfully accept him or they'll totally reject him. On this last day of 2023, every one of us in this room is on one side of that equation or the other. We've either joyfully accepted and surrendered the control of our lives to Jesus or we haven't. To, to have the idea that, well, I'm, I'm trying to do that, or I'm thinking about doing that, or I'm not quite ready to do that. Just understand that every one of those answers is a rejection of Jesus. That's not middle ground. There's no middle ground. Either we're in or we're out. I've seen that most of us here today have already surrendered the control of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. But let me just invite you, if you've never done that today, before we leave this service today, Settle that in your hearts. It's no accident you showed up on church the last day of the year. God got you here for a reason. We've been singing about the, the lordship of, the Lord, of Jesus all morning long. I've been talking to you about it right now. And this idea that you've got in your mind that you've justified that, well, maybe later, maybe later. Nobody's promised tomorrow. You're not even promised this evening. You're not promised to get through to 2024. Nobody's got that promise. We have this moment right now. Right now, there's the opportunity to surrender the control of your life to Jesus right now, right now. It, it's not magic words. It's just, I, I give up. I quit trying to be myself. I, I quit trying to do it all myself. Lord, Lord, come and forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. I want to live for you. Just some, it's, it, he knows your heart. He knows your heart, but it's a definite commitment. You prayed that this morning while you're out there. Even right now, you could do that. You want to come up at the end? We'll have somebody that would pray with you about that. A lot of times when you make that decision, it's so good to let somebody else know. And it just locks it in and seals it. So if that's you this morning, we'll be, have some people here at the front to pray for you at the end of our service. The Passion highlights Simeon's word to Mary like this. A painful, large, broad sword will one day pierce your inner being, for your child will be rejected by many. Many will oppose this sign, but it will expose to all the innermost thoughts of their heart before God. Amen. We know from reading the scripture that Mary had her own struggles at times with how Jesus' ministry was playing out. But we also know that Mary worked her way through those offenses. After enduring the trauma of seeing Jesus die on the cross, we know that Mary was in the upper room with the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And we know that Mary lived out the rest of her days as a faithful witness to Jesus. As was her habit, I'm sure that Mary treasured all the things that she'd been told about Jesus. And as she pondered them in her heart, this encounter with Simeon was an encouragement that made more and more sense with each passing day. As for Simeon, he's only mentioned here in Luke's gospel. And many believe uh, Luke was helped by Mary and Mary's remembrance to get this gospel written. It's just 11 verses just 11 verses. But that little bit we know about his life calls out to each of us to emulate his example. Simeon's last recorded words were, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. On this last weekend of 2023, we're going to finish our service by taking the Lord's Supper together. Uh, the taking of communion is meant to be so much more than just a religious ritual. Still to this day, the taking of the Lord's Supper is meant to pierce our souls too. The Lord's Supper communion is a continual reminder of the incredible mercy, grace, and love God has extended to each of us to save us from our sins 
and to redeem us from eternal separation from him. It includes a call to keep working out our salvation and to align ourselves afresh and new with righteous and devout living. And as we come to and before we partake of communion, there is always an open door for for any or whatever kind of repentance needs to be made to God, as well as an open door opportunity to receive God's forgiveness and release. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. it says, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are retelling the story and proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Before we take Lord's Supper communion together, let me just read uh, a version of Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 11 from the Message Bible. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instruction from the master himself and passed them on to you. The master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread, having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and in your actions the death of the master. You'll be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently It's like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives, test your heart, and come to this meal in holy awe. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to partake of Lord's Supper communion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the incredible price that you paid for us. Thank you for the open invitation. Thank you for the opportunity we have to do this again and again and again and again and again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Got that communion cup, peel off the bottom and get that cracker out of there. Lord, this is just a reminder of your body that was broken for us. You were beaten beyond recognition for our sin. You paid a price we could never, ever, ever pay. And you did it for the joy set before you. And part of that joy was even seeing this moment right now. People like us sitting in a room remembering your incredible sacrifice with grateful, thankful hearts. But we could never say thank you enough. There aren't words to express it. But thank you, Lord. And we eat this this morning in remembrance of you. Peel back the top. The juice is a reminder of his blood. There is so much power in the blood of Jesus. Forgiveness, healing, access. It's the blood of Jesus the shed blood of Jesus that gives us the opportunity and the right 
24-7, 365 to come with confidence before God's presence. In this blood is a new covenant based on better promises. We don't have to be sacrificing birds and animals anymore. Jesus paid the price and said, it is finished. And now we can walk with him in relationship, in friendship, in fellowship, in partnership, advancing his kingdom day by day with him in and through our lives. Thank you, Lord. There's healing in the blood. There's power in the blood. There's refreshing. There's strengthening. There's life. And we drink it this morning in remembrance of you.